right, if you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. And in our study, we come to another reprieve. Um, it's this moment of reprieve from the story from the cosmic battle scene that we've been looking at, which is, you know, jolting at times. This is meant to be this moment of encouragement, this moment of, of joy in the midst of this crazy, chaotic situation. Remember that this section, verse chapters 12 through 21, is really the working out of what was teed up by John in chapters 1 through 11. So, similar to the reprieve found in chapter 7, to look beyond all the chaos and see solid and firm things, this passage does the same. To look beyond it all and see the things that are easy to hold on to, to stand on, to uh, give us strength and solid footing. In fact, this passage is described as uh, this, this unfolding of this mountainous scene, this moment of Mount Zion, Zion being stood on. So this, you know, we, we, we contrast that with the, the images we've seen the past couple of weeks where uh, you, you've got the dragon on shifting sand. You've got the, the, the beast coming up from the sea and the beast coming out from underneath the earth. And you've got the Lamb of God standing on the firm, solid rock, the mountain. So this is meant to be a place of encouragement for you and I, and we need that from time to time. And Jesus knew that we would need that as we would read through this revelation he gave John, and John, I'm sure, knew that we would need it as well. Because remember, this is, this is a book that was written to, this is a letter written to seven churches. Churches enduring high levels of persecution and push and influence from Satan's kingdom in their day. And Jesus, via John, gives them moments to see the solidness of the Lord, to see the solidness and the solid footing and the firm foundation that Jesus gives in the midst of chaos. And you and I, we need to realize because of Christ, we stand on a firm foundation when all else seems to be chaos in Christ, we have a strong, solid footing. When spy balloons come across our nation, Jesus is the rock that we stand on. Right? When all else seems to like, what's going on here? Jesus is solid. Jesus is firm. We stand on the mountain with him. The reminder they needed and the, the reminder you and I need is that being redeemed by Jesus and sealed by Jesus and purchased and bought by Jesus puts us on that sure, solid foundation with him. It's an unwavering place even when all else is coming apart around us. There's a word here in, in the Greek... It, it, the word means redeemed, but in the Greek, it's agorizo. And I just wanted to say that so you would know that I could say Greek words, all right? <laughs> Not really. It is important. And it really means purchased or bought. 
purchase or bought. And I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. He says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price to glorify God with your body. Jesus paid the price to purchase, to purchase our redemption, to purchase our forgiveness. And because of that, we stand on the rock with him. We don't stand on shifting sand. We don't buy into what the beast and the dragon and his false shifting kingdom throws our way. We stand on the solid rock of Christ. It is firm and sure. What we see in this passage is that Jesus paid the price to save people. And here's a moment in this whole crazy apocalyptic nightmare that shows us a way to stand firm and be encouraged in him. Would you stand, if you're able, in the honoring of God's word and read this passage along with me? Follow along with me there in verse, chapter 14, verse 1. John said, Then I looked, and there was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like a sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like the harpist playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth, purchased by Christ. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remained virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were the redeemed from humanity as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. No, no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are four things in this passage about the redeemed who stand with Jesus and the hope that you and I have in Him. Number one, we see that the redeemed stand with the sacrificial Savior. In this passage, we see this number. We've talked about it before in chapter 7. Here it is again. And the 144,000 really, I think, are 12 tribes times 12 times 10 three times. Now, if you just got confused like I would have because I'm not a math person, basically what you see is that 12 times 12 is 100, is right is 144 right thank you <laughs> times 10 times 10 times 10 144,000 why is that important why is it significant well 12 represents the people of God 12 is the tribes it's the 12 disciples it's the 12 gathered around the throne the 24 gathered around the throne but remember last week we talked about that number 666 and that it was Completely, because three is the number of completion, it was completely incomplete because six is one less than perfection. It's completely incomplete. In this moment, the reason three times, ten times three is important because ten is the number of completion. Three, uh, three is the number of completion. So what we see is that this number means it's completely complete. Y'all aren't as amazed as I was. I thought that was pretty good. 
It's completely complete. It's the complete, completely complete people of God. And they stand with the Lamb. Now, significant that this is not the lion. It's not the triumphant, dominant, kingly king. It's Jesus as the Lamb. Don't miss that. That's significant for us. It's the Lamb. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. If you look at these as two visions, and that's really what we should see, because John says again, he, he starts any new vision with, and I saw or I looked. And that's what he says in this passage. So what you have are two competing visions. You've got the, the beast coming out of the sea, surrounded by Satan on the beach, right? You've got this vision, and it seems dire and crazy and chaotic and scary. And then you've got this mountaintop, and you expect to see Jesus like he was on the Transfiguration Mount, fully clothed in all of his glory. But what do you see? The Lamb. Jesus shows us his power in weakness, in perceived weakness. I'm not saying Jesus is weak. What I'm saying is that he shows strength in weakness. That's what he told Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, because my power is perfected in your weakness. So we see the lamb because it's, it's this seemingly weak picture but what it is, is he confounds the wisdom of the world and the kingdom of Satan. He confounds it because he comes as a babe in a manger, not a king in a, in a, in a uh, palace, not in the greatest city in the world, in small little Bethlehem. He comes to conquer. And he doesn't come as a king robed in white, standing on a precipice. He comes as the sacrificial lamb that was through his giving of himself and his sacrifice that he conquered so that these people could stand with him. The redeemed stand with the sacrificial Savior. Jesus conquers by a seemingly Sacrificial weakness. It's not seemingly sacrificial, it's seemingly weak. But it's the sacrifice that secures the pardon of the redeemed, the people bought by the sacrificial death of the Lamb. That's when Jesus that's why Jesus, when he was with his disciples, and they said, Hey, you know, James and John and their mom, they brought their mom into it, said, Hey, we want to sit on your right and left in the kingdom. We want power. What did he tell them? First will be last. The last will be first. He tells us that pride goes before the fall. He says, God gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud. Jesus looks. Jesus looks to the seemingly weak and brings power to confound the way the world Works. See, Satan came with theatrics, a dragon, two beasts. Jesus comes as a sacrificial lamb. And that's where power lies. Jesus did that 
so he could purchase your redemption. He didn't come with power to force his mark on you, to make you writhe in pain and offer only death and peril. He came and he went through death and peril on your behalf so that you could be purchased and pardoned and saved and redeemed. Jesus paid a price so excruciatingly high he had to die for you. He died for you so that you could stand with him pardoned when, his, when this dragon and his beasts are raging. What a contrasting image. These raging beasts, the dragon and these beasts and a little lamb and a multitude of people standing with him, completely complete in him. I know this is our first point, and a lot of times we wait to the last point to give you an opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ. But man, what a better picture than to talk for just a moment about your need to be counted among the completely complete, redeemed people of the Lord in the final day. And friends, I don't care what you've done. I don't care the, the, the problems that you've had. Grace is extended toward you. We don't care how you came in today. We just don't want you to leave unchanged. We, we, we're glad if you came in hurting and needing and, 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 and uh, having difficulties and living a life full of sin and living according to the ways of the kingdom. We don't care. We're glad you're here. But friends, we failed if you don't leave changed by Jesus. You need him. And Jesus wants you to come to him. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come to me and cast your cares on me. And friends, you can cast your cares on the sacrificial lamb of God today because he died so that you could have hope in him. He died so that you could have a sure foundation to stand on. He died so that you could know that you were pardoned and purchased at a great high price because he loves you immensely, far more than you can imagine or think. He was willing to die for it. And won't you stop playing games? And won't you come to Christ? And won't you give your heart to him? And won't you give your life fully to him and say, Lord, I can't. And I've tried, and I've messed up, but I know you can. I know you're able, and I trust in you. Could you today trust in the Christ who died for you? Trust in the sacrificial death of the Lamb who died for you. And if you would like to do that, please see me. I'd love to share with you. Anyone from our staff would love to share with you. We got deacons and deacons' wives and Sunday school teachers. We got folks that would love to walk you into the arms of Christ. Come today. Come find us. Come find me. I'll be in the back. I, you'll know where I am. Come. Come today. The second thing that we see in this passage is that the redeemed sing loudly the song of salvation. I love that we sang that first song today and talked about shouting. That's what's happening here. This is so loud. These people knew that they had been pardoned that their redemption was paid at a high price, for they sang in such a loud collective voice the new song of redemption. 
says it was like cascading waters. It was like Niagara Falls. It was so loud. It was like thunder rumbling. And friends, we are a people who sing. We are as people who sing loudly. We worship him loudly because he has done such great things for us. I know this is a Baptist church, but I don't care. Let's sing. Let's raise our hands. Let's worship Jesus because he did something amazing for us. Yes. You know what? Let's let the world let the world know that the community know we're Baptist here, right? We worship Jesus. We sing loud because he loves us. And he's done amazing things for us. We sing loud. We sing a song that is known only to those who've been purchased. The song of the blood, the song of the redeeming blood. And we are a people who should know what it's like to be forgiven. And if we know what it's like to be forgiven, we'll sing loud. We'll shout loud. We are talking about this in my D group this morning about the beauty of knowing forgiveness. Forgiveness. When you know you've done wrong, when you know you deserve something else, but the, and that what is really deserved is withheld from you, and you're giving something you don't deserve. That's what forgiveness is. And when we really know, our hearts will be changed. That's the difference that will be made. You've been forgiven. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away. You have been redeemed. And we need to sing loudly. The third thing we see is that the redeemed stay with their loving Lord. Now, this business about the 144,000 being virgins is a way, number one, that can be confusing. I understand that. But it's really a way of saying the 144,000 belong to Jesus. They belong to him. They've been purified by him. And thus we know he loves us. And because he loves us, we stay with him and we don't give in to the kingdom of Satan in its ways. We don't give in to Babylon. We don't live like that. It's like Daniel when he was taken out of the land of Egypt and he was brought into Babylon and he was told that he was going to have to eat a certain way and dress a certain way. And, and he says, I can't do that. And when God blessed him because he lived differently in exile, he lived differently among the people. And that's what we have to do. We are purified in Christ. We live differently. The king of Babylon, which is just the way of saying Babylon is just a way of saying the kingdom of this world. And the king of that world tries to lead people into impurity and Jesus makes impure things pure again. So there's a loyalty to Christ and no one else. Last week, I pointed to some of the churches in chapter 2 had been infiltrated by lies. that We called it the theology of compromise. And the pure here didn't listen. They stayed true to Christ. They rejected the lies ultimately. And that's what we have to do. We have to we have to reject the lies of Babylon. We reject the lies of this world we live as exiles in. And we say, no, we have a king who has a better way. 
There's a better way to eat. There's a better way to dress. There's a better way to do all these things. There's a better way to live our lives. And so no matter the pressures from around us, no matter the theology that wants us to compromise, no matter the lies that are being infiltrated into our brains every day, we will live for Christ. We will live according to truth. We will live according to his way in this world. We don't have to be jerks about it. We don't have to be rude about it. We can just say, nope, we reject the lies and we live for Christ. The third thing that we see, and it goes with this, is that the redeemed speak boldly because of their blamelessness. It says that no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. The redeemed once lived by lies, now they have turned to Jesus and away from lies. And so the opposite of lies are truth. And that's what's now in their mouth. And so the, what, what is in our mouth, what should be in the mouth of those who are redeemed are the truths of God's word, the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the redeemed speak, the good news. And we do this because we are blameless. Notice it didn't say they were perfect. It didn't say they were perfect. I remember my granny had this bumper sticker, and I don't know that I fully understand it as a kid, but I believe it now. I understand it says, Christians are not perfect, they're forgiven. Man, isn't that true? We're not blameless because we've done something. We're blameless because we've been made blameless. Jesus turned our lives around. He took us from living according to Babylon and the lies of Babylon. He made us pure and blameless. We aren't perfect. We're blameless because Jesus spoke that over us. That's the gospel. We once were blameless. We trusted Jesus. And now because of Jesus, we are blameless. We once were blameful and now we are blameless. And because of Jesus' redemption, we can say those things. We can know that. If all your blame has been eradicated, shouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Couldn't you? Can't we be bold in proclaiming the truth to those who need it? Boldly doesn't mean being rude or self-righteous. It means we share the truth and love with those who might have bought into the lies of Babylon, the dragon and his beasts and their lies. The, the way we go, the way we understand is that we are like beggars who found some bread and we got to go tell other beggars where the bread is, where the bread is. Shouldn't we go tell others who Jesus is and what he's done? Today we get an opportunity to speak the truth of Jesus by communing with his body and blood through the imagery of the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper. We get the opportunity to share in his sufferings visually so that we can say to the world, this is, that's what this is. The Lord's Supper is a way to declare before the world Jesus died for me. I identify with his death. I identify with his body broken and his blood 
spilled for me. We get the opportunity to do that right now. I want to pray that God would bless this. And after I pray, if our deacons will come and get ready to serve uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to show a world that we are bought by your blood. Your, your body was broken for us so that we would be covered by your grace and mercy. Help us to show the world how amazing you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.